Welcome to The Cloaked. We are a collective of inquiring minds seeking answers to mysteries both past and present. Join us on our journey to discover that which remains hidden. And now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Cloaked. I am your host, White Owl. Hey, it's Pandora. And uh, before we begin, I just wanted to say, uh, don't forget to go out and vote. My job is done. <laughs> <laughs> no, but for reals, um, you know, um, as, as you know, this is an election year and we don't like to get too political. But, um, I mean, I do like to encourage people to vote. No matter who you're voting for, just go out there and vote. Um, Will you be you, voting, White Owl? I mean, I hope so <laughs> i mean yes i will be voting for logic and science as you know i am a man of science and you know here at the cloaked we believe in science so i'll leave it at that and a lot of other things too oh, but... well i mean <laughs> <laughs> this is true but our foundation i like to believe that it's built on science and logic and a scientific method and I take everything with a grain of salt, of course, especially when it comes to conspiracy theories. I mean, but I mean, you know, my favorite subject, UFO and aliens. I mean, we know that shit is real. As the American government has now finally has said, you know, we're looking into that. Yeah, this is true. Yeah, this is exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So our topic for this week as we continue on with our halloween month uh it is a slasher it is a person an individual who you really can't explain a whole lot of how his mind worked and how he started to be the way that he is because he himself has been interviewed and has said certain things about the way he grew up. But as we know, and we will get into, there are things that he had said that are contrary. We'll get into the world of Richard Ramirez, also known as the Night Stalker. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) So the Night Stalker, you know, uh, was... This individual born in El Paso, Texas, right? Mm-hmm. And what can you tell us about what this an individual guy? he was? <laughs> Very weird, to say the least. I yeah. mean, that's one thing. I mean, where to start? Like, you want to start with like childhood? I mean, or? I mean start with his childhood. Cause, I mean, psychologically, I mean, uh, the the person he became. I feel like he was the perfect, like a perfect storm of like, Fuckery. like if this is how you make a serial killer. Like, a little bit of this and that, and, like, he had all the the things, you know what I mean? Right. So, like, what we know is, like I said, or like you said, he's born in El Paso, Texas, right? Mm-hmm. So, like he said, he was born in El Paso, Texas, and uh, he had kind of a weird childhood, so a little dysfunctional, I think, role models that he had in his life, right? right. But um, what we know is his dad was um, formerly a Mexican police officer. Mm-hmm. He was pretty strict. I think there's kind of, you know, they believe that he was beating him at times. 
Right. So um, there's counts of like him having left his house at night to go sleep in a cemetery as a boy, which is like the fuck <laughs> crazy. But I mean, you have to understand that for him to do that, it must have been really bad. Yeah. At home to go sleep at a cemetery. Right? But it's like, I mean, people obviously go to cemeteries, but like, it's not often that you hear a kid or anybody spending the night in one just like sleeping right. there. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, that's kind of goes to show like one weird origin uh-huh. of everything. Yeah. Um, the other is he was very close to this older cousin of his that had been a Green Beret and he started hanging out with him a lot and he was showing him pictures of when he was in Vietnam and it was like pictures of people that he had killed, women that he had right. raped. I think there was even pictures of him where he was holding like a decapitated woman's head. That's crazy shit. <laughs> It's what now? It's crazy shit. <laughs> Anyways. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, like, that's... Who shows that to, you know, first of all, anybody, but, like, who shows that to a child, right? Like, that has to mess you up. That's pretty dark. And so, you know, like, you shouldn't even be knowing about that kind of stuff as a kid. Right. So I can only imagine, like, how much that started to mess with him. And then he eventually, he witnesses a murder. And it's actually this cousin of his, mm-hmm. who, again, is much older actually shoots his wife, Jesse, in the head. Like, right in front of Richard Ramirez as a child. Um, How old was he at the time? He was, he was young, I right? I think he was, like, around 13 or so. Yeah, he, was, he was pretty young. Yeah, he was young. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he was definitely still a minor. And so, the, I think that's kind of where things really kind of took a weird turn, where he really withdrew, right? Right. But then, you know, I guess at some point after that, he goes to live with um, his sister, right? And is it her husband that he was living with as well? Uh, yeah, it's a, uh, his sister Ruth mm-hmm. and her husband uh, Roberto. Okay. Right. So he goes to live with them, but that gets weird too because the husband and him start to go driving around at night and doing weird like peeping Tom shit. Right, which is crazy. Looking into people's windows, trying to find yeah. women undressing. and. So we have two things happening yeah. that mm-hmm. had recently occurred. One, he witnessed a death. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was being abused, He's so there's violence abused. already. Mm-hmm. And now you're now introducing him into this peeping tom world of this uh, sexual activity. And he's like hitting puberty, and he's hitting puberty in the middle of all of this. So this is a trifecta of shit. Yeah, this is uh, like you said, the perfect storm of you know dark shit. Yeah, where and this he's... is going to create a uh, a real dark person, some real weird urges, for right? Sure. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, like, what is normal to this kid? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. normal to him is no longer what everybody else thinks. This is the norm. This is his normal. Right. So, you know, while this is going on, I mean, I guess he gets a little older. He does end up dropping out of high school. But, um, you know, some people that knew him, a friend that grew up with him, said that there were signs that, you know, something was kind of going wrong with this kid. Right. People knew that he would like to steal, um, you know, but it was like petty mischief kind of, you know, petty crime shit. Right. But he was starting to notice that it was getting a little darker. Um, right. I think at one point he held like a little part-time job at a hotel. Mm-hmm. And he got fired. And then when he ends up asking like, well, why'd you get fired? It's because he was, he had tried to touch some kids mm-hmm. in an elevator. In an elevator hotel. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, he's probably somewhat of a kid himself, but right. still like that's, that's a red flag already. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, because he's already on, on a road, on a very dangerous road. Right. Uh, where he is doing things that are very inappropriate for his age. And to be doing that to these very young kids. Like, uh, I think he's, he's by this point, he's pretty numb to violence. Well, he's also... He's also doing drugs. He's yes. he's not, not he's, just smoking pot, but he's doing acid, LSD. Yeah, he starts um, getting into that. He and starts getting interested in the whole satanic world, you know, mm-hmm. satanism. satanism. And so this, you know, now you're introducing something dark, and it's. I think he felt you, empowered by that because right, you have you know. The opposite of Satanism, which would be like what Christianity or most other religions that right. still kind of have some morality. So, I mean, this is, again, like a slippery slope of dark shit. I mean, this is already taking him to a whole other level of norm to him. Right. Because he is molding his world to this strange and dark shit. The cats are talking to ghosts. So there's some other incidents that are occurring with with Ramirez. Because this isn't the first incident that he starts doing things. He starts slowly, like you said, he was stealing. Mm-hmm. You know, they they had names for him already and this would become a trend with him. Mm-hmm. They call him Ricky the Thief, Ricky the Fingers, you know, fingers, which yeah. um but what he was doing was robbing Patreons from their hotel and at their hotels. He was breaking into their uh, their sleeping quarters, mm-hmm. their rooms, and so I think stealing he at shit. Several hotels, and right? and it's at this point that he starts doing in, introducing this sexual fantasies with violence, and it's at one where he attacked uh, a woman who was asleep. And he tried to rape her. Yeah, because I, I guess when he was in... He eventually moves, right, from Texas to California. And right. At this hotel that he's... He's basically going in there. I don't know what his, his job title was, but he was going into the rooms and he was robbing people as they left their rooms. And he gets caught by this husband coming back into the room. I guess the wife had stayed in the room and he is like caught trying to rape her right but then at some point like they could have pressed charges they could have right. led to more right uh-huh. like taking him down right then and there right but because they were out of state and they didn't want to deal with like coming back and stuff like they just like didn't exactly which you, is crazy like this could have almost not been you know oh yeah definitely this this is this is an issue where uh you know this could have been this could have been like something the that bud back then, right? Exactly. I was gonna say this could have been something that could have been fixed, sort of. Then, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if we would have stopped Ramirez from doing what he was doing. Maybe not. I mean, he maybe he would have gone to jail for a little bit, come yes. back, and still done a spree. Right. But. Exactly. And it it's not until April tenth of nineteen eighty four where Ramirez starts. His murder spree. Now, his murder is a nine-year-old named Mi Lung, uh, who he takes into the basement of a hotel where he was working at, mm-hmm. and he was also living. Um, and this is in the area, the district in, in San Francisco, 
where he raped and brutally beat this girl. Uh, it was like nine, right? Yes. And then left her hanging her body uh, from a pipe. Ramirez's DNA uh, was matched with a sample that was obtained uh, in 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, getting a little ahead of myself, but you know, uh, at the time they didn't they, they didn't know, right? Obviously, who yeah. had committed this just some heinous crazy, crime, like, one-off crime, right? And so you know, he was he was a, a juvenile back then. And so his night stalker crimes began really in June 28 of 1984. Now this, he attacked a 79-year-old named Jenny Vinco, who was brutally uh, murdered in her apartment. She was stabbed repeatedly. Now she was stabbed so many times that her head was practically, she was practically decapitated. Decapitated. Yeah, like when he slashed um, her throat, he didn't even like really slash it. Right. This was a heinous murder. You know, this is one of the murders that freaked out a lot of the the people, a lot of the the neighborhoods. And like a lot so of unprovoked. You know what I mean? Like yes, uh, he, he was obviously stalking her. Right. You know. You know. They don't uh, initially. Cops didn't know what had happened. They thought maybe it was a robbery gone bad, and like really bad. Um, you know, with with this particular case, because I mean, to be stabbed so many times. I mean, uh, they found a partial fingerprint on the mesh screen that was removed in order to gain access to the window. And then his and then he strikes again in March 17, 1985, where he talked where he attacked a 22 year old. Uh, Maria Hernandez outside of her house in Rosemi, California, shooting her in the face with a 22 handgun after she pulled into her garage. She survived the bullet that uh, ricocheted. What happened was that another friend peeked out from what, what was happening in the event and she ducked. And then Ramirez saw her ducking like behind the kitchen or something. Yeah, she ducked behind the counter. And as then... she got up to check to see what was, you know, if he had left, Ramirez then shot her yeah. in the head. So, and so she died. That, that one's two victims, but the the first one survived because the bullets. She put up her, her hands like, um, and the bullet hit her keys or something like that. So I'm like, I, I would assume he still got shot, but like it, it didn't go... Obviously through her face or head. Right. But it doesn't end there. Because no. Ramirez takes off. And he... Uh, I think like an he, hour later, he does something again. Yes. He pulls a another 30-year-old uh, named Tisla Lian, known as Veronica, from her car in Monterey Park. And shoots her twice with a twenty-two, And she is pronounced dead on arrival. Uh, she takes off. Um, he takes off in his ve- in her vehicle. That was when they started to see. Okay, maybe these murders, obviously from this, mm-hmm. there's, there, there's maybe is there some type of connection. And it was some, actually two detectives who made that, um, who started making these uh, that made 
the connection to all these murders. Which is kind of crazy, right? Because I think, like, one of the things that people thought, well, maybe it's not a serial killer, or maybe it's not... They weren't sure. The same one is right. because his M.O. was just, like, all over the place. Right. Like, as you start to go through the crimes, I mean, he doesn't stick to any one thing. Obviously, yeah. shooting the, you know, couple people in a few hours is going to match up, but, like, he wasn't just shooting people. Yeah, because uh, he did more than just that. I mean... It was at this point where they started trying to give him a name. Mm-hmm. You know, they give her, giving him the walk-in killer, the valley intruder. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're trying to pinpoint, uh, trying, uh, trying to pinpoint a motive, but also trying to figure out the psychology of this guy. Yeah. Uh, why he's doing it? You know, is there a reason? Um, is it? certain people because so far if you look at the victims they range they range Wildly, in, yeah. in age uh, age race location uh you know i'm not too familiar with california but i'm assuming that some of these areas they're kind of far apart mm-hmm. right um i mean there's a, there's a it's a, there's a cluster of the, these cities and so you know you you look and you're trying to figure out okay well how do these detectives uh, are looking into these this case or these cases, I should say, and try what the mo for this individual is. And so he continues on March 27, 1985. He burglarized in a home in Whittier, California. It was at 2 a.m. where he killed a, a individual named Vincent Charles uh, Zazara, age 64, with a gunshot. Uh, again, with a 22 caliber handgun. Uh, his wife, uh, Lavina Sosara, age 44, was awakened by the gunshot. Ramina then beat her, bound her, and then uh, I guess he wanted to know where the valuables were. And then he, like, robbed the place. Mm-hmm. So, again, you have this repeating where, like, okay, well, is he just breaking in and then killing his victims where he's breaking in? Well, this one was pretty bad because, like, I guess... The lady freed herself in the middle of it all, and she tried to go for the the husband's shotgun. Yeah. And it wasn't loaded. Mm-hmm. So I think this pissed him off more than anything that she even, like, you know, dared to come at him. Mm-hmm. Because he ended up stabbing her so badly that, like, she was pretty much mutilated. Yeah. He shoots her and then goes for the kitchen knife, uh, the large carving knife. Mm-hmm. I should say, and then does these things. But he leaves a footprint uh, behind of his pair of Avia sneakers. And so it gives the officers a clue of what the individual is wearing, what his height is, what his size is, maybe even approximate weight Mm -hmm. as well, because of the depth of the print as well can give you that Uh, so there's a lot of information based on just a single footprint. A single footprint could give you so much information. Now, of course, they now have several gunshot victims with the same, same caliber as well. Same type of gun bullets, plus the whole breaking and entering starting to somewhat establish a, a trend here. You're right. And so he continues. I mean, I'll, I'll just go through some of like the rest because I, I mean, there's so much information, so much detail. Uh, uh, I think is the date is f- the 14th of May of 1985. 
Ramirez returned back to Monterey Park and entered the home of Bill Doyle, 66, and his wife, who is disabled, Lillian, who's 56. Uh, surprising though, in the bedroom, Ramirez shot him in the face with a 22. And then, uh, as Doyle went on to his uh, handgun, he he went on for his handgun after beating him, mortally wounded the man into an un- he, he was unconscious, right? Mm-hmm. So, and then Ramirez entered Lillian's bedroom, bound her with her with uh, thumb cuffs, raped her after he had ransacked the home of valuables. Bill Doyle died of his injuries while in the hospital. And and then in May 29, 1985, Ramirez drove a stolen vehicle in Monrovia, California, stopped at a house of Mabel Ma Bell, 83, who was a disabled sister of Florence, finding a hammer in the kitchen. Crazy, a hammer. Uh, bludgeoned and bound laying in her bedroom. And then... Uh, Blunch Bell uh, before using an electrical cord to shock the woman. That's fucking crazy. How fucking sadistic and sick is that? Yeah, I mean, you he, know what like I mean? said, he was starting to kind of like get bold here, I think, right? Like just kind of whatever he could do upon entering the house to like inflict harm, right? Like he was just... Right. At this point, I, th- I feel like he was empowered, you know. Yeah, and then he drew, uh, he drew the what was it like a pentagram or something with yes, some lipstick. Yes, he's trying to leave his signs. At yes, this point. at this point, he's trying to like do these weird like uh, satanic type shit, and you know, I mean, he and he continued, you know, this is so many. I mean, really, uh, July fifth, he attacked another person, broke into their house, a sixteen-year-old Whitney Bennett with a tire iron. As she slept, and then in July seventh, nineteen eighty-five, he burglarized the home of Joyce Lucia Nielsen, who was sixty-one, fighting her asleep on the couch. Uh, he he beat her to death. You know what I mean? Yeah. He beat her, and then uh, again leaves a shoe print of his sneakers. So then, in July twentieth, nineteen eighty-five, Ramirez purchased a machete before driving a stolen Toyota in Glendale. He chose the home of the Kinden, who's 66, and her husband burst into the, sleep- the couple's sleeping bedroom and hacked them with the machete. Bro, like, like what, what the, the fuck? Like, what the fuck, dude? Uh, same night, at 4.15 a.m., he broke into a house. Uh, the Conavath, I can't say the name, Kovanavath family Kovanavath. shot, yeah, <laughs> shot this... Uh, Shot uh, Shangaran. Man, I am really uh, <laughs> these names. Uh, sorry, I, I apologize for not pronouncing these names very well. I uh, shot him in the head with a 25 caliber handgun, killing him instantly, and then uh, raped and beat uh, Samaki Kanavan uh, and bound the couple's terrified eight year old son before dragging Samaki around the house. Uh, locating valuables, which he then stole during his assault, and then I guess he, he she's the one who would he then tell them to swear to Satan, mm-hmm. as you know she was uh, trying to hide money from him. Uh, yep, he's done that at this point at least n- one other time. Right at this point, he's making people swear onto Satan. Right? Yeah. 
because I guess the one lady started saying like, oh, I swear to God, I won't scream. And right. he's like correcting people like, no, right. swear to Satan. Yeah, because I think uh, Sophie Dickerman, uh, when the July 7th of 1985, mm-hmm. uh, she was handcuffed and still the same. He had pretty much uh, told her to swear out to Satan as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, this again, it becomes a pattern. But, you know, p- people were curious as to why um, the, sw- the swearing into Satan. Like, where does that come into play? Like, why is that even part of his thing? Like, well, you know, what? Because th- that type of information was so kind of hard to find. Because he doesn't really talk about it. In interviews, in interviews. He does a little, but it's like he... I don't know if he ever specifically called himself a Satanist, but I mean, everything seems to indicate that he was, if anything, you know, leaned towards that at least, or had read about it. Right. Because he said, like, there was an interviewer that asked him about that. um, And he was kind of like, are you a Satanist? And he didn't really want to answer but he was like, oh, but I can tell you about it. And so then he said something that it was like. He almost made it sound like it was um, not hypocritical or something like that. Right. Almost like it was like giving you the truth or like the, the actual wisdom, but not being hypocritical about it. Yeah. And I mean, the whole like, you know, how he would start to leave the the lipstick pentagrams and stuff like that which i think is kind of funny because like pentagrams aren't really it's they're not really satanic satanic but yeah anyways that's a whole other thing yeah we've yeah. talked about that before <laughs> where they've uh the satanists have taken uh these symbols which is the same thing with the nazis have done they've taken symbols that don't belong to them and repurposed and reused them and erroneously um, and the same thing goes for to Satanism and uh, people who don't understand the truth behind all of that it, the, mis misuse of a lot of those symbols. Um, and, and Ramirez, again, back of August 8th, 1985, he stole a car, uh, drove to Diamond Bar, California, and he chose a home of Sakina Aberworth. Aberworth, 27, and her husband, 31-year-old Ilias, uh, at 2.30 a.m., he entered the house in the master bedroom and instantly killing Ilias uh, with a, a shot to the head with the 25 caliber handgun. Sakina, while forcing her to reveal the location of the family jewelry, was brutally raped and repeatedly demanded that she swear to Satan. Again, this whole Satan thing. When the couple's three-year-old son entered the bedroom, Miris tied the child up and continued to go back to raping Sakina, which is heinous. That's fucking mad nuts. Uh, Sakina untied her son and sent him to the neighbors for help. Um, Ramirez had been following the media coverage at this point, left Los Angeles uh, to San Francisco uh, Bay Area. Uh, and then on August 18th of 1985, he entered the home of Peter and Barbara Pan. He shot the sleeping Peter, as who was 66, in the temple with the 25. He then beat and sexually assaulted Barbara, who was 64, before shooting her in the head. And leaving her for dead. 
Um, there's other crimes that I haven't mentioned of what he did. There's a, several horrible, more de- gratifying details uh, of his assaults and what he did. But, um, you know, it was on August 24th where Armidas traveled 76 miles to South Los Angeles in a stolen orange Toyota. Now, this is where things, I don't it's know. It's like a tipping point It's here. a tipping point, I guess. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Because what happens here? So, I mean, people were obviously looking for this guy already, but they didn't have a whole lot. So I'll just like back up a little bit because there was a, a thing that I thought was kind of funny where uh, San Francisco's mayor, Diane Feinstein, mm-hmm. uh, accidentally like leaked some information to the press right. where she's like, oh, they're looking for his shoes. And she mentions the, this, you know, 11 and a half AVS sneakers. Right. So at that point, he lays low, right? He right. lays he low to and low. he throws his sneakers off a bridge. And so right. he's like, oh, you know. They kind of have a little bit of info on me. Mm-hmm. But like you said, on August 24th, 1985, he's kind of getting back out there. He has a stolen vehicle, this orange Toyota. And he comes to this house, which everybody's asleep except for this one 13-year-old kid by the name of James Romero. And he, you know, I think they said he goes outside to grab his pillow from a camper or something right. like that. Right, yeah. Um, and he's just awake. So he's like... He decides to work on his bike or something. I don't know what he's doing. Yeah, but he's, he's doing like, something. He's yeah. up. And he hears footsteps out there, but he's, you know, thinking initially he, when he first hears them, he thinks it's like an animal or something. Right. But on the second time around, he definitely hears like footsteps on gravel. Mm-hmm. So he looks and he actually sees him and he gets a pretty good look at him. And, you know, he goes back, you know, back into the house. The dad's up and he's like, what are you doing up? And so he tells him real quick, like, there's this guy and he's been, like, walking around outside the bedroom window. Right. And, like, he, you know, he was basically prowling around their house. Right. Exactly. And so this kid actually runs outside as he's leaving. He goes, you know, Richard Ramirez goes back to his orange Toyota that he right. has. Right. He's taking off. And, yeah, he's taking off. And this kid runs outside and gets a partial of his license, license plate. plate. And... uh I think, like, they see each other seeing each other. Ramirez makes a kinda, U-turn. Yeah, he makes a U-turn. And comes back around. They stare at they each other. They fucking lock eyes, like... And this kid captures the face mm-hmm. of the person driving the vehicle. Yep. And so... At this point, they have no idea who they were dealing right. with. Right. But they called the cops, mm-hmm. right? The cops were like, oh, okay. Um, and... You know, what'd you get? Probably just thinking... Some dude, right? No, so you, like not no big deal, but just trying some to steal, dude. yeah, yeah. And I guess, like, not too long after, they probably have an actual break in that he actually does successfully commit because he goes to um, the house of uh, Bill Carnes and his fiance Ines Erickson. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes in and shoots him three times in the head. Right. And then he, you know, ends up, of course, per usual, ends up, you know, beating the fiance and rapes her, makes her swear on Satan again and takes her valuables. But they survive, I Mm -hmm. think. Yeah. Uh, Both of them survive. So as soon as the police realized, like, hey, this is like a mile down or I don't, it wasn't very far. 
they come back to this kid's house, James Romero. Right. And they're like, um, okay, we're going to need more description. And I, I think they end up coming back to his house a couple of times. And I think that's when they realize that they... That this is the guy. They've made a connection. This kid saw him. This kid got a partial license plate. Like, this is the... You know, he ends up being the one who can ID him. Mm-hmm. Like, by, you know, actually having seen him. So... Right. So they have a description yeah. that's being now posted around. Definitely a tipping point. And so what ends up happening is the police obtained the, ca- uh, the cast of Ramirez's footprint of Romero's house. A stolen car was found on the 28th of August. The police obtained a single fingerprint from the rear view mirror. Now, Ramirez was known to be very careful and to wipe all his vehicles, fingerprints, yeah. all his vehicles, wiping them down. Now, they were able to find a fingerprint, and the print possibly identified and belonged to Ramirez, who was described as a 25-year-old drifter from Texas with a long rap sheet that included many uh, arrests for traffic and illegal drug violations. Law enforcement officials decided to release this mugshot to the media. Uh, now, this was the mugshot of Ramirez from December 12th of 1984. And so this was released and it hit the newspapers. Mm-hmm. And so everyone got to see the face it was like, of the Night, the Night Stalker. Right. Officially. Right. Yeah. And so, so his capture, right? His <laughs> capture is not really well known. Now, they try to depict it in the, in the TV show American Horror, which kind of was accurate in a way, but not really. Uh, they took a lot of creative liberties. They took a liberty. lot of creative liberties, of course. The whole, I mean, it's, it's a disappointing show. <laughs> um, but August 30th, 1985, Ramirez took a bus to Tucson, Arizona to visit his brother. Uh, while, you know, this story became major in the newspapers and... and back in California. Back in California. Like, he's blowing up. He has no idea. Though. After failing to meet his brother, he returned to L.A. the morning of August 31st. He walked past police officers who were uh, staking a bus terminal. Uh, and it was him walking to a convenience store in East L.A. Now... After noticing a group of elderly Mexican women who were fearfully identifying him as El Matador, right? They were calling him El Matador or El Maton. Yeah, somebody yells Ramirez <laughs> saw his face in the front of the newspapers uh, and then decided to flee the store in a panic. Yeah. Now, he starts running out of there and people are... You know, these ladies start screaming that that's the guy. Like, El Maton. El Maton, El Maton. <laughs> and then other people heard and, are you know, it, this is being yelled at. Now, he runs across the Santa Ana Freeway and attempting a carjack from a woman. You know, other bystanders saw and then they started chasing him. Mm-hmm. After hopping several fences and attempting two more carjackings. He was really trying. He was eventually <laughs> subdued by a group of residents. One who has struck him over the head with a metal bar in the pursuit of him. The group then held Ramirez down and beat the shit out of him <laughs> with many objects. People were using their fists. 
People were using sticks. So by the time the cops metal. got there, shit had been taken care of. <laughs> yes, he was pretty much like beaten badly. Yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> so he was he was pretty. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I and mean, this is something I told Pandora. What happened then in East LA mm-hmm. happens in Mexico. It's a very Mexican and then it's thing. a very Mexican thing to do. Trust me, I lived in Mexico. They were like not in my hood. <laughs> exactly. When you fuck around like that in someone's neighborhood, you steal. You do something bad in a neighborhood. Rest assured, you will be found, and your neighbors will take care of it. And you that's something dragged and, out there for everybody to yeah, take a and hit to, at you. <laughs> and so people know who you are. Um. Until the police show up, you know, and so, you know, that's, you know, that's how he gets caught. Uh, and it's a crazy story, but, you know, and I think one of the guys that the one of the first guys that, like apprehended him, he started to chase after him. Right. And he right. called for like his two sons and it was oh, like, for backup. Yeah. Like, don't let him get away. Yeah. Like they were like on him. Yeah. Until they got him. Yeah. And until they, they were able to capture him. Because you don't want to have somebody like that slip through. Slip through. No. You don't want to be the person who let that happen. Let him get away to commit more crimes like Mm -hmm. that. Because at this point, you know, people are imagining their families. Yeah, like you could be next. You could be next, you know? And so they captured him, you know? And his trial begins in July 22nd of 1988. And it was a clusterfuck of events. (laughs) Yes. Uh, You know, there was a lot of things he would yell out during the court uh, hearings. Hell, Satan. He would uh, fucking threaten the judge. Cuss him out. Cuss him out. Threaten the the, uh, jury. You know, he He said it was a fucking joke. Yeah. And And so he would be constantly removed uh, from the court. Mm-hmm. You know, from the courtroom. And so, you know, it was one of those things where he was just not, you know, not cooperating, obviously. Um, but, you know, he he was basically sentenced to death row. Mm-hmm. He was sent to death row. And they found him guilty, you know, obviously, of, of the heinous crimes that he committed. Uh, the, his conviction was 13 counts of murder, 5 counts of attempt murder. 11 counts of sexual assault and 14 counts of burglary. Uh, criminal penalty of 19 death sentences. His victims were 14 victims, though he had more victims yeah. than that. For uh, sure. Yeah. I feel like we probably will never even know the full we'll never Right, because there were so many stories from his hotel times. Yeah. Um, and one of the, speaking of hotels, <laughs> he used to reside at the Cecil Hotel. Or he stayed there. He stayed there. I don't there. know if he resided there, but yeah, he stayed there and during his um killing spree, which if you guys recall the story of Eliza Lamb, mm-hmm. that was the same hotel. Same hotel. So very creepy area. Mm-hmm. Um the hotel of course is no longer called that. It's now called the Stay on Main. Don't stay on Main. <laughs> right. <laughs> Don't stay on Maine. Don't stay there. <laughs> uh, they rebranded for obviously for a lot of issues. They have a um, long history of creepy 
crazy shit going down. Right. He was left in prison to wait a sentence, but... Well, the sentence obviously arrived, but he never went through the uh, execution because he died yeah. uh, at the age of 53 of June 7th, 2013. Uh, what was it? Uh, B-cell lymphoma? lymphoma? Mm-hmm. Right. And so... I don't know if justice was really served. A lot of people don't feel so. Because they I were like, well... I think so. Uh, I mean, in his initial... Uh, I guess, like, drawings that they did of right. him as a suspect, he had really jacked up teeth. He got his teeth fixed while he was in jail. Right. Um, before he actually started showing up in court. So you'll see him with, like, really, like, messed up teeth. I don't know if it was from, like, LSD or other or drug use meth, or what. probably, Yeah. Um, or if he just had never seen a dentist. I mean, he was only 26, so mm-hmm. I don't know what went wrong there. But, like, they fixed his teeth completely. And then, you know, of course, he was in prison. They spent a lot, a lot of money on the trial. They spent a lot of money on him, obviously, just right. to, you know, care for him from until he died. Yeah. And, you know, he even, he had a lot of women that would, like, show up and he had like, a fight lot over of him and fucking stuff. fucking stupid bitches showing up Some to his place. Some crazy bitches showing up, like, like fighting over him. fuck? Are he you... was engaged to this girl. He married to no, Dor- yeah, he actually, yeah. Doreen Loyal? Loy- Leoy? They're one of the girls Doreen that Leoy, was yeah. in the jury. Was into him, too. It's into him, too. Who what? sentenced him to death, but was into him. <laughs> but was like, oh, hey. Yeah, it's bizarre. It's so bizarre. Like, I feel like he had, like, a weird effect on people. And even though he did what he did. Right. And, like, the the woman who ended up marrying him was like, oh, like, people don't see him the way I see him. And I'm like, well. No, they don't, bitch. What's wrong with you? You need to get your eyes checked. <laughs> like, what? I don't know. But, I mean, like, so much weird stuff. And, yeah, I don't think he really paid for anything i, I don't mean, the, think so either the most justice that i think was probably truly done to him was was when he was caught and they beat him the hell up yeah you know that's a, that that's the closest to like a taste of his own medicine that i know of because he obviously beat up a lot of people in his spree right but i mean he did so much more than that and i don't think he ever got like anything yeah and i anywhere think near justice at the end of the day he was uh pretty much uh described uh, as far as a psychiatrist described Ramirez as a made psychopath opposed to a born psychopath. I guess it's like there's a difference there. Um, which he was, he's uh, he, this doctor named Michael H. Stone says that Ramirez uh, schizoid personality disorder was contributed to his influences. To the yeah, suffering of his victims and the untreatability of him. So he had uh, no empathy. He had zero empathy. No remorse. If, he never showed remorse. Right. As a matter of fact, that was just kind of the crazy part. Because like you see his interviews, and it's almost like he thinks it's funny sometimes. Yeah. Almost like like because he says that he didn't care whatever what happened to him. He never did. He never did. So I'm like, if somebody, if he truly felt that, like he can't possibly care about anybody else and he even tells an interview that he gave up on love and, and something like a happiness long time ago. And yeah like yeah and it's like well if you have somebody like that who's that just means like that, that empty that dead inside like that means that he has no rules no to what he can't do 
So that would drive him to really do whatever the fuck he feels like doing. Because, like, they said, you know, like, the detectives and stuff, they were asked what was his motive. Right. And they're like, to kill. Like, it was just He to wanted kill. to kill. Like, he, he wanted didn't, to fuck things yeah, up. Yeah, he was stealing, but he had always been stealing. And I think it was more like, um, like, power, you know? Like, he wanted that control of, like, he could take somebody's life. Yeah. Right? Like, he had that power over He could you. rape somebody. He could take their belongings. He could take everything. Right. And, like, I think that's what it was. Like, yeah. It, it was definitely of control. But I think at, at the end of the day, that shows how uh, he didn't have any, any control of his own life. Uh, because I felt like he used this as a... In a way, without having to say anything for it, that he was almost justifying himself. Uh, and then also at the same time, he's like, he had no control of his life for the things that happened to him. So but this way, was him taking was him back, back that, that control. Exactly. In a way, yeah. Uh, and so he wanted to, I don't know, uh, he just wanted to do whatever he wanted to do without... Feeling like he he was really gonna pay for it, which is weird, right? Like to for him to go around saying, "Well, there's it's gonna be no consequence for me," and even if there was, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And in a way, that's kind of what happened because he didn't justice wasn't really served. He didn't suffer, suffer. Not really, no. It's almost like, you know I, mean, I mean, I, I hate to say he had a, a good time in jail, but I mean, he didn't get what he had coming to him by any means. He, I exactly. Would, and like the, that quote he has of like when he's told that he's getting the 19 death sentences. Right. Like he's like, big deal. Death always came with the territory. Yeah. Uh, see you in Disneyland or something like that. Yeah, some like, weird ass shit that's like that. Like what? Uh, no, you're not going to Disneyland. You're going to prison, and then you're going to death row at that point in time. You know, right? Like he just didn't give a fuck. No, he, and like you, not impressed. You couldn't, you couldn't tell if he just didn't get it or he just didn't care. Which I think he just didn't care at the end. Uh, which makes an, uh, an individual like that very dangerous. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And so, what do you think of Ramirez? I mean, obviously, crazy ass motherfucker, but. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I agree with that. Um, I, I don't know. Like I said in the beginning, like I think it was, I agree with that uh, psychologist that said that he was, you know, made not born. Like I think he just, I mean, if he had any room to be, like a normal human being, that that was shot pretty early on. Oh yeah. When you know he grew up in abusive abusive father situations right. and then he had this like at a very impressionable age like that's your introduction to you know life, life. is abuse and seeing death and and you know violence and all that and like stealing right. and drugs i mean at that young age like he i don't think he had a good positive influence yeah no so i don't think he did um, i completely agree with that you know he, and then you know any like any hope for like reform would have been shot when he since he like left school and got into drugs and then got into Satanism. I mean, it all kind of just like reinforced itself. 
Yeah, I think with whatever was going on, whatever was going on in his house, the no uh, adults in the room kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. He had no real guidance. He had no real no authority. <laughs> yeah, no good guidance and no real authority uh, to someone to guide him to a better life, to tell him, hey, uh, I know things are not good at home, but you can leave that and maybe go somewhere else and go with better people. Where you can pull yourself out of that and do something better with your life. But he didn't have that. He didn't have that person to guide him out of there. To tell him, you know, hey, there's 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 a better side to this life that you're living. Uh, let me help you. You know, he didn't have that, unfortunately. Like, you do have to wonder, though, because, like, maybe he was a little bit born that way, too, because other people witness things you know what i mean other people grow up in very dysfunctional horrible situations and don't right. necessarily become that uh, yeah so that's true it's kind of like maybe there was a little bit of that in him too right because it maybe even ran in the family a little bit you can say that yeah because the cousin the way he was the father was yeah. abusive yeah, I mean it's it's very possible without, that, I mean, without knowing a whole lot of the history of the family. Plus, he was said to have had that, like two pretty big head injuries when he was younger, right? Also, and sometimes that. that can fuck up your your personality. Mm-hmm. So that part where you like care about causing harm to somebody, yeah. if that gets you know rattled around. Oh yeah, for who sure. Who knows? Yeah, definitely. You know, I have to agree with that assessment. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it could, I mean, it's hard to tell without knowing, again, the family history and things like that. Uh, but, I mean, you know, there's definitely a lot to point out to the Ramirez's uh, upbringing that you can say that attributed to how he became the individual that he ended up becoming and knowing him as the Night Stalker uh, and on his heinous crimes. Um, you know, it, you know, it's, it's sad when, when things happen like that. Um, but again, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Again, uh, please rate us on iTunes, uh, follow us on Facebook and on Twitter, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Later.